Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Go ahead and open your Bible to Amos chapter 7. We're going to read what the prophet has for us today, but you're probably already you're probably already in the know that there's some judgment coming. It's been coming. It's like just a snowball that's coming down the hill, getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and there's no exception to that today. So open your Bibles to Amos 7. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you today for your word, and we pray, God, that as we open the Bible that you would teach us, that you would share with us, that you would show us what we need to see. God, I pray that you would sharpen every person watching this and that we would have your heart. God, we want to be people that respond to you, that look like you, that obey you. That's what we want. It's what we desire. And so we pray today, open our eyes, open our hearts, fill us with the Holy Spirit. Give us the grace to follow and to obey what your word teaches us. We love you and we thank you today in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said amen and amen. We're in the book of Amos chapter 7, and here's what it says, starting with verse 1. I'm going to read the entire chapter. We'll come back through and give some comments as we work our way through it. Here's what it says. Thus says the Lord God showed me, and behold, he was forming a locust swarm when the spring crop began to sprout, and behold, the spring crop was after the king's mowing. And it came about when it had finished eating the vegetation of the land that I said, Lord God, please pardon. How can Jacob stand? For he is small. And the Lord changed his mind about this. It shall not be, said the Lord. Thus the Lord God showed me, and behold, the Lord was calling to contend with them by fire. And it consumed the great deep and began to consume the farmland. And then I said, Lord God, please stop. How can Jacob stand? For he is small. And the Lord changed his mind about this. For this too shall not be, said the Lord God. Verse 7, thus he showed me, and behold, the Lord was standing by a vertical wall with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, what do you see, Amos? And I said, a plumb line. And then the Lord said, behold, I am about to put a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel, and I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be desolated. The sanctuaries of Israel laid waste, and I will rise up against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent word to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is unable to endure all of his words. For thus Amos says, Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Go, you seer, flee away to the land of Judah, and there eat the bread, and there do your prophesying. (laughs) I just feel like I need to have some kind of accent or do-do-do, but I'll try to refrain because I'm fresh back here on Wednesday. But no longer prophesy at Bethel. For it is a sanctuary of the king and a royal residence. Then Amos replied to Amaziah, I am not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet, for I am a herdsman and a grower of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now hear the word of the Lord. You are saying, You shall not prophesy against Israel, nor shall you speak against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Your wife will become a harlot in the city. Your sons and your daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be parceled up by a measuring line, and you yourself will die upon clean soil. Moreover, Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. 
Now, there's not a lot of good news in all of this, but if you're just joining us and you haven't been tuning into the book of Amos, we've read about how Amos starts the book by giving indictments and sort of divvying out judgments to the various nations. In chapter 2, he turns quickly to Judah, which would be the southern kingdom, and then the rest of the book is really all about Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel. And so now we just read chapter after chapter of judgments that really just are preceded by indictments. Amos is saying, here's what you've done, this is what this means, and here's what's going to happen. And chapter 7 really is no different. Here we have a chapter where God shows Amos three visions. These are three out of the five visions. We're going to read tomorrow about a couple more, but he shows him three visions of what he is about to do. And there's some special things that happen because Amos interacts with God throughout this time of God showing him visions of destruction and judgment. And I think that's going to be a message for us today, even in our modern world. And so here's what we have. The book of Amos, we have indictments. We have accusations that are really clear um, from God toward the people of Israel. And then we have Amos that is grappling with this and prophesying the word of the Lord, the judgments that are forthcoming, going to occur. And we jump in here in Amos chapter 7. We read in just the first few verses, Thus the Lord God showed me, verse 1, Behold, he was forming a locust swarm when the spring crop began to sprout. And behold, the spring crop was after the king's mowing. You may have read in the Bible where it talks about the early and the late rains, the spring and the autumn rains. Obviously, rains signify blessing of the Lord. They needed the rains for the crops to grow so they could harvest them. They were seed time and harvest culture. This is how they made their money, their livelihood. This is how they ate their bread. This is how they traded. They, were, they, were, they would be able to trade their crops for other things that they needed. That's the society that they were. And so here's what he's saying. There's basically two harvests that happen. There's a tax that the king has on the people and upon the lands. And basically Amos is saying the king's going to have his, um, he's going to get his crop, the king's mowing. And it came about after that happened that the locusts came and they ate all the vegetation, which basically means that the locusts are going to come as a judgment from God upon the people and the people are going to starve, right? So the king will get his share, but then after that, there'll be nothing left over for the actual people to be able to earn a living and actually eat their food. And so this is a very serious judgment. Amos knows what this means. Amos knows what's going to happen. And he cries out to the Lord, please pardon. He says, please forgive and how can Jacob stand for he is small? They're going to die. And it says that the Lord changed his mind. Another translation says the Lord relented. This is a moment where we see this interactive prophecy and intercession. Prophecy and intercession. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But that's what we're reading about. Because Amos is not appealing to God on behalf of of Israel for any good deed that they have done or any change of heart that they have. He's appealing to God's grace and mercy only. That's all he has. Oh, sovereign Lord, please forgive. Not for any reason other than you are loving, forgiving, merciful. That's all that he's got. He's got nothing from any change of heart from Israel. 
We go into verse 4. Thus the Lord God showed me, and behold, the Lord God was calling to contend with them by fire. And it consumed the great deep and began to consume the farmland. Here's the second vision that God shows Amos. And essentially, he's showing him a fire that's going to somehow dry up or cause a drought. It could be the Mediterranean Sea. We don't really know what Amos is seeing here, but we we see he talks about the great deep. The water's going to dry up. The land's going to be consumed. First, they're going to lose their vegetation and the locusts are going to eat it. Then the land's going to be consumed. It's going to be burnt down to a nub. The water's going to dry up. They will not have food. They will not have water. So starvation, famine, drought, these are typical signs of judgment. Sometimes you'll see a judgment in the Bible where God will withhold the rains. Like I said, the earlier, the late rains, the spring or the autumn rains, rains were considered the blessing of the Lord. And it's important when you read scripture to know what judgment actually looked like, what God would do. And I've talked to you about two kinds of judgment. One kind of judgment is where God removes his hand of protection and blessing. The other kind of judgment is where God moves his hand. So removes and moves. This would be a judgment, in my view, where God removes his hand over his covenant people. They're living in the blessing, okay? They're living in the promised land, and so the land being consumed is going to be the promised land. The drought's probably the Mediterranean Sea. You can imagine, just for a moment, if the Mediterranean Sea dries up, or really any of their bodies of water, and then the land is consumed, you you can imagine how long do the people really have to live at that point? I mean, the land itself would swallow them up. They would not be able to live. And so Amos sees this in a vision. When you see something, it impacts you in a different way. It wasn't just a word. He saw it. When he saw it, he cries out to the Lord again, Lord, please stop. Jacob is so small. He will not survive it. And the Lord said, this too shall not be. So God relents once again. Now we have the third vision. Then he showed me, and behold, the Lord was standing by a vertical wall with a plumb line in his hand. We don't really know what a plumb line was. He's standing by a vertical wall. Another translation says a plumb wall, and he has a plumb line in his hand. Uh, Basically, if we were to kind of make this modern, we're talking about a vertical wall that is square. We're talking about a plumb line, which is some tool that most scholars can't fully even identify because, again, this is a long time ago. But basically, we're going to think of it like this. The wall is square. The plumb line is going to be some kind of square that measures if the wall is square or not. So it's a standard. It's a, it's a measure. It's a tool of some kind that can tell whether or not something is the way it's supposed to be. And so he says, he sees a plumb line in his hand. The Lord said to me, what do you see, Amos? And I said, a plumb line. And the Lord said, behold. I am about to put a plumb line in the midst of my people, Israel. I will spare them no longer. In other words, I'm going to measure my people, Israel, to the standard. What is the standard? That's going to be the covenant. That's going to be the law. I'm going to put the plumb line to my people, the law, and then the words of the prophets, the reminders of the prophets again and again and again, calling God's people back to covenant faithfulness. We know they have not been doing that. We also can tell, because we've read the book of Amos up to this point, that God is continually merciful. We're talking years here. Ladies and gentlemen, think about this. Years. This is not days. This is not a moment. This is the final moment. This is the final day. After years and years of God enduring the sin and the treachery and the betrayal and really just the idolatry of his people. They know better. They have the law. It's written 
clearly. In fact, it's written in stone. They have the temple, they have the law, they have the priests, they have the animal sacrifice, the sacrificial system. All of this is set up to help facilitate this relationship between God and man. Not ideal. It's the system they had because it was a shadow of what was coming in Jesus Christ. But we know that this system is a daily reminder and it's a constant reminder to the people of God who God is and who we are and how God's merciful and he sets up a way for us to continue to have the forgiveness of our sins and to be restored to him to right relationships. So God in his mercy has given us everything that we need, has set up all that we need and has told us all that we need to know. They had just not repented at all. In fact, we see that up until this third vision. And so God says, I am about to put a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will not spare them any longer. Judgment is going to happen. The high places of Isaac will be desolated and the sanctuaries of Israel laid waste. Then I will rise up against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. The high places, sometimes we think of high places being high. <laughs> if you've been to Israel, you know that there are not a lot of mountains. There are lots of hills. Hills are called mountains often. And we have mountains here. In Washington State, we've got mountains throughout the United States, throughout the world. There are huge mountains. So you can't picture mountains the way that we do. You have to think of hills. Yes, there were shrines set up and there were altars set up in some of the higher places. But a high place was not necessarily just a higher elevation. A high place would be a place where a shrine and or an altar would have been erected or set up. And so the altars sometimes are five feet high, made out of stone. They can be, be as big as pictures I've seen, 25 feet circumference. They could be 10 feet circumference. They're, they could be massive. And, um, and so some of the remains you'll be able to see in Israel, or if you travel throughout the Middle East, you'll see some of the altars that were erected all over the ancient cities and areas that have been uncovered. So this talking about the high places is not necessarily talking about elevation, although it could, and there were some that were up in these high places, but over Israel's history, they had erected shrines. Now, before the temple was built, they would worship Yahweh at these different altars, okay? So they just weren't supposed to be made out of hewn rock. They were just supposed to be made out of rocks of the earth. And so after the temple, these were supposed to be demolished and no longer used, but the people violated that that command and they used them anyways, but they were used and they were set up to false gods. So they're worshiping false gods at these altars that are no longer valid and to be used. So when you see something like this, okay, when you have this very thing happening and God is watching the people worship other gods, think about that. They are worshiping other gods. Can you imagine in our church building, if we set up an altar to another God, Buddha or whoever, if we set up a God, uh, uh, an altar to Allah the, the, in the Islamic faith, that's what we're talking about here, okay? We, how strange does that sound to you? How crazy does that sound? What if we set up an altar to a pagan deity in the middle of our foyer, all right? Sounds crazy? That's what we're talking about here. So we've got to re remember that what God is judging the people for is not um, kind of bad, okay? It's not a little bad. It's the kind of bad that you and I couldn't even imagine. I mean, we'd lose every person in our church if there was some kind of altar set up to Baal in the middle of our foyer. I mean, just think about the extremity that, 
that this that the people have gone to, all right? So he's saying the high places will be desolated. In other words, I will take care of this myself. My people didn't do it. I told them to, and for years and years they did not they did not tear down the high places. So guess what? I'm going to do it myself. The sanctuaries of Israel will be laid waste. These places where they're worshiping other gods, I will destroy them. And I will rise up against the house of Jeroboam, the leader of the people who is obviously leading them astray. He's obviously leading them astray. So God's going to hold the leader to an account. And this is what um, happens. So now we move to this other figure that's going to be mentioned, Amaziah. Then Amaziah the priest, verse 10. The priest of Bethel sent word to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. Uh, The land is unable to endure all of his words. Okay, he's deeply concerned, obviously. For thus Amos says, let me summarize what Amos says to you, Jeroboam. Jeroboam will die by the sword and Israel will certainly go from land into exile. That's that's pretty fair, actually. He is saying that. He's saying a lot more than that. He's missing all the parts of... God calling the people to repentance and giving them opportunity and years and years. Well, that's fine. Let's just summarize everything by saying his words are terrible. His words are against you. His words are against Israel. Has nothing to do with us and what we have done is, is against us, right? <laughs> then Amaziah said to Amos, Go, you seer, flee away the land of Judah, and there eat bread, and there do your prophesying. Now, this is a, an indictment against um, Amos. Amaziah is saying to him because he doesn't know his background. He's saying, Amos, I want, you need, you need to leave here and uh, you need to go back to where you're from and there eat bread and do your prophesying. You need to find another place to earn your living. In other words, somebody's paying you to do this. He's like a prophet for hire. That's what this means. You're, you're somehow being paid to prophesy this. Go back to your own country and prophesy there and earn your bread. You prophet for hire. <laughs> That's what he's saying. And this is amazing. Then Amos, verse 14, Amos replies to Amaziah, I am not a prophet, nor am I a son of a prophet. I am a herdsman. Okay, this is a word we don't uh, really fully know what it means. He's, he's basically a, a, somebody that's a, a herdsman. He oversees flocks, but it's a strange terminology to use for somebody that does that. So he, he's more than that. It's kind of hard to understand. And I'm a grower of sycamore figs. I I oversee orchards. I oversee flocks and orchards. I'm not a prophet. I'm not a son of a prophet. In other words, you just said I'm a prophet for hire. And you just told me to go earn my living to prophesy somewhere else. But guess what? I don't earn my living for that. I'm not here because I'm making money. I am here because God gave me his word. Now listen, he says this, the Lord took me from following the flock and the Lord said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. Oh man, God plucked me out of my livelihood and my lifestyle. I am not a prophet. I don't have those qualifications nor that background, but for whatever reason, Yahweh said to me, I need you to go deliver this message. That's why I'm here. He takes that stand against Amaziah, this corrupt priest, and tells him exactly why he's there. It's the word of the Lord. In other words, you're coming against the word of the Lord. You're not coming against the person that's making money here. In verse 17, the final verse, therefore, thus says the Lord, he, he, he turns the judgment from Israel, and now he includes Amaziah, the corrupt priest. And he says, your wife will become a harlot in the city. Why? Because your sons and your daughters will fall by the sword. So when the sons and the daughters fall by the sword, this means that 
Amaziah is going to get exiled. His sons and daughters are going to fall by the sword. It's going to leave his wife destitute. And one of the ways that women would earn money if they had no husband nor kids is they would become a prostitute in their days, especially under this sort of idolatrous way of living that, that they had. And so it's, it's, a, it's a serious thing that he's saying here. Your wife will become a harlot. Your kids are going to die. Your land will be parceled. Your estate, your, what you own will be divvied up and given away. You, you, you will not, this will not be for your kids. They will not make it. This will not be for your wife. She will not make it. You will have nothing. Everything about you, your legacy, your lineage, it's all gone. I, I just, I don't know if you kind of catch that. Like, can you even imagine that being said to you? Can you even imagine somebody saying that to another person? This is, this is the word of the Lord. Like, wow. You yourself will die upon clean soil. Moreover, Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. Not only will Israel go in, in, into exile, but you are going to experience this demise. This is what's going to happen to you. Now, there's a lot going on here that I could talk to you about. And I just want to bring up two things, two simple things that we read about. We're reading three visions, two where we clearly see the prophet intercede on behalf of Israel. And here's the principle that I think that we can learn today. God calls us to be intercessors. We're, you know, as long as I've been a Christian, I have heard about how egregious the sin of our nation is. Now, I'm just assuming most of you that are listening to me are living in America. And there, every nation has sins. Now, I want to divide the, I want to make a difference between America and Israel. First of all, Israel was a covenant people, okay? They were not just a, a, a nation that had some followers of Yahweh. The entire people was set apart to follow Yahweh, okay? So, to make a parallel between America and Americans and Israel and the Jewish people, it's not a good parallel because in America, we have, <clears throat> we have many people from many religions. We have a pluralistic society. Yes, you can say that uh, our roots, there are in, this, in the seedbed and the foundation of our history, we have many who name the name of Jesus. We see God at work in the foundations of this country, but it does not make it a good parallel to the nation of Israel, a covenant people who was given the Ten Commandments. It's not the same. So that's one distinction that we have to be clear about, because if we, if we don't, what we're going to do is read into the text that God's going to call America to an account the same way he did Israel. That's actually not... Uh, the, <clears throat> Excuse me, sorry about that. That's actually not true, and it's not fair to use that as a parallel. It doesn't mean that God won't judge a nation, and it doesn't mean that we don't pray for a nation. What it means is, is that we are crying out to God for our nation to be saved. We're not just crying out to God for our nation to come back. Come back to what? Many are not saved. Many have never been saved. Our country is made up of people from all kinds of nations. It's made up of people from all kinds of religions. Regardless of how our country started, we have to understand that the pluralistic society that we have means that a lot of people aren't going to come back to God. Most people or many people need to come to Jesus Christ. And so when we cry out to God for our nation as intercessors, regardless of the darkness that we are fighting against, 
we have to remember that the way in which we intercede is so that men and women would know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, okay? This is extremely important. You cannot call a nation back when large percentages of that nation has never been at the foot of the cross to begin with. So we are calling people to the foot of the cross. We are calling the church, not the nation, we are calling the church back to covenant faithfulness. That is an appropriate parallel. So the church to Israel. It's not the same, but it is a more appropriate parallel to make. So for us, what we need to do is we need to be intercessors. But I've heard for my entire time that I've been saved and walking with the Lord that we need to be, we need to come back. We need to come back. We do need to come back. We need to come back to obedience to Jesus Christ. We need to make sure that we are intercessors. So whatever darkness we see, remember, <laughs> darkness is job security for an intercessor. We need to remember that, okay? A broken, hurting, dying world is job security for an intercessor, a go-between. Somebody that stands and with one hand in God's hand and the other hand grabbing the people, mo moving forward, bringing the people to the Lord. Our intercession matters. Look what Amos did. Amos cries out to God. He sees a vision. And he doesn't just proclaim a vision. He cries out to God, Lord, may it not be. See, anytime I see somebody prophesy judgment or just declare the darkness and they, have, they don't have that weeping heart, they don't have that God, don't let it be. They don't have that intercessor's heart. There's something that isn't quite right. We've got to get to the point where we have that weeping heart. We've got to get to that point where we're desperate to see God move. We have to become intercessors. It is not enough to get angry, upset, um, or mad at the darkness. We've got to be consumed with the light. And when you're consumed with the light, you're crying out for those men and women, young and old, to come to Christ, to come to the foot of the cross, to be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we have got to be intercessors. God calls us to be intercessors. We see that here in the book of Amos. He does not just allow the vision to become the word of judgment. He sees the vision, he intercedes, and then the third vision, it becomes the word of judgment. It's at that point where God himself says, I, I, I cannot relent. I will measure the people. They have, you're not appealing to me based on any repentance. You're appealing to me only based on my mercy and grace, which God is merciful and God is gracious and God is kind, but he calls his people to participate. He calls his people to repent. This week, this week is a, a there's a national return is what it's called on, on September 26th. That's on Saturday. I don't know the people that are in charge of all this, but hundreds of thousands of believers all over America are calling the church first back to the Lord and secondarily calling the nation to the Lord or the foot of the cross. I would, I would encourage you to participate in this. And how would you do that? This Saturday at 3.45 p.m., we have a special prayer time before our 5 p.m. service in our chapel. 3.45 p.m. this Saturday. Join us. Many of our staff are going to be there. I'm going to be there. We're going to be seeking God, and we're going to be praying. This Saturday at 9 a.m., we have a prayer time with our missions department in the chapel. It's a time we're going to be crying out to God for our region. We're going to cry out to God in the morning for our city, and we're going to cry out to God in the evening and the afternoon for our country. Will you join us? Will you join us? Will you take a couple hours of your day and say, Pastor Ben, I'm going to cry out to God. It's not enough to see the darkness. It's not enough to hear the judgment. We've got to become intercessors. We are not here to see and hear uh, that which is bad. We are here to proclaim 
the goodness of God before the final day shall come. And this is what we know on this side of the cross. And so when we read about Amos and him seeing visions and we just see his heart, we've got to have that heart even more so because we're living on this side of the cross. We know the Lord Jesus. We've yielded to him. We know that we're preachers of the good news of Jesus Christ, the cross his, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and we intercede with the hope of knowing the transformational power of the Holy Spirit. Will you join me? Will you, will you join me? Come on, say yes. I can't hear you, but just got to say yes. Amen. I'll be there this Saturday. There'll be 9 a.m. We're crying out to God for our city with Pastor Susanne, and at 345, it's me, Pastor Darby, and others from our congregation, and our staff will be there in the chapel. Join us, and that's how we're going to enter into this word. The second thing I want to share with you, and finally, we must be aware of corruption. Now, what you see in this is that Amos sees three visions, and they're of that which God is going to do because of the idolatry of the people. Amos intercedes for the first two, and the third is sort of, God says, I'm going to measure Israel, and I found that they are wanting, and so I need to bring about judgment. This must happen. So here's what we see. Amaziah, the corrupt priest, tells Amos not to prophesy. Why? Because corruption wants to silence the voice of the righteous. Corruption wants to silence silence the righteousness of God, the righteous voice, the truth, suppress the truth, you know, compromise the truth. Why? The priesthood, the king, those that are in charge were corrupt. We just have to pause right here, okay? Me as a pastor, here, let me just tell you this. I have to pause because nobody and nothing can, can have, should be able to have my heart. We have got to be people, whether you're in a leadership position or not, we have got to be people that when we read the word and we see the corruption of the priesthood, we see the corruption of the kings, we see the corruption of the prophets, we see that we've got to take pause and say, this could happen to us. We too could give ourselves to corruption if we're not careful. And so this is just a moment where we've got to say, we've got to be aware of corruption. We've got to make sure that our hands are clean, our hearts are clean. In the Bible, give us clean hands, that which we do, and pure hearts, that which we think about, meditate upon. That our filter, what's on the inside, what's on the outside, give us clean hands and a pure heart. And let us not lift our soul to another, not worship another God in any way, shape, or form. And so we've got to realize that this is got to deeply grieve us that when the leadership, when those, when those leading homes, when those leading churches, when those leading our country are, given, are giving themselves over to corruption, that it just spreads like a virus, amen, throughout the people. And so we've got to call on God to set right his, the homes of those that are followers of Jesus. We've got to call on God to set right the churches so that we continually and consistently follow God's word. And we've got to call upon God to set things right in the nations of the earth. God will, but he's calling his people to be intercessors. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus gives the parable about a widow. And he says at the very end, verse 8, he says, but when the son of man returns, when he comes Will he find faith on the earth? What's that talking about? He's talking about when the Son of Man comes, will he find people crying out to him on behalf of others? Will he he find people praying? Will he find people crying out? Let let, let me just say this, okay? (laughs) We cannot lose the place of prayer. I, I know we're living in a day and an age where people feel like prayer is inactivity. 
hear me when I say this. I, I'm not just, this isn't just a cute encouragement, a sermon point. This is serious. Prayer is the posture of God's people. When we lose the posture, we will miss it. We will be, corruption is knocking at the door every single day. And if we stay in the right posture, corruption will not have us. In fact, we will move forward. The light will shine brightly in the darkness, but we cannot lose the posture of prayer. If the Lord's showing me anything in these days, people say, what is God showing you? Showing you, Pastor Ben, God is showing me that his people don't just need to pray, they need to stay in the posture of prayer. See, that's the problem. It's that, it's that in a jam, just like in our own lives, we go to this place of, of reactionary prayer. And we know that we're supposed to maintain a prayerful life. We know that we're supposed to maintain a sensitive heart before God, time in the word, our life in the word. Why? Because when we live our life, if we're in the word and if we're in prayer, it's not just the daily discipline, it's that it flows into everything that we do that we're mindful of God's voice, that we're mindful of God's word. We're sensitive to his spirit. When we live a life of prayer, fasting, worship, and the word, what we find is that it flows like rivers just flow out of our life because it's what we're filled with. The psalmist said, I have hidden your word in my heart that I would not sin against you. What if there's no word hidden in the heart? I mean, just think about it. It's what rivers are going to be released out of our life. The flesh, sin is knocking at our door, crouching at our door, waiting to master us. It's not going away. And the way that we combat that is not just fight against it. It's press into God. If we press into the Lord, we're not going to spend our energy fighting against something that he's already overcome. If we just are next to the one that's more powerful than everything else, then we constantly win every battle that we would face. And so this isn't about turning to prayer. This is about staying in the posture of prayer. If we stay in the posture of prayer, then we won't have to go back to prayer. You see what I'm saying? That's what the Lord's been showing me. It's that we, we move from that posture and then everything becomes about other things. The church becomes about other things. And so we cannot lose the posture. Let's go back to the posture. Let's stay in the posture of prayer and watch what will unfold as God blesses not only us, but through us, he begins to flow out like rivers of living water. This is what I believe. Let's be the intercessors that God has called us to be, not just see something that is bad and dark, but let's cry out to God on behalf of people. Let's first start with our own lives. Would you do that with me today? Join me for prayer this weekend, 9 a.m. or 3.45. But if you're going to come to the Saturday night service, come to prayer. You say, well, Ben, I've got kids. Well, if they're old enough that they can pray with us or they can just sit there, bring them. Our kids need to see us praying. They do. Our kids need to see us be people of prayer. They just need to see it. How else will they know what they're to do if they don't see us do it? So bring them. Hey, bring them. I don't know. We, we, we might have to move to a bigger... We might have to move to the gym. If so many of us come, we'll move to the gym, okay? We'll call an audible and we'll cry out to God in a gym. We'll put away the basketballs and we'll cry out to God. What if we had to fill the gym every weekend because there were so many people at four o'clock prayer? Oh my gosh. I mean, the devil wouldn't be able to stop us. You understand what I'm saying? He just... The coronavirus would cease. I'm telling you, we would have the authority of the church would rise up in the name of Jesus because that posture of prayer has been recaptured. Let's not just return. Let's not just go to prayer. 
Let's stay in that posture. Amen? Join me right now as we pray into this today. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example that we have in your word. Thank you, Lord, that you raise up prophets, mouthpieces in a day and an age where we need to hear the pure word of the Lord. I pray that you would purify me, purify us, that we could hear and respond the way that you want us to, that we would be intercessors. I pray for everybody dialing in today, listening in. Let us be intercessors, God, to stand between you and uh, that which is unfolding in these days, God. Whether it's a, a virus, whether it's an economic shutdown, whether it's corruption, political polarization, Lord, we're intercessors. We stand between what you're saying and doing and, we, and the world systems and the world powers and the corruption of the enemy that seeks to invade even the people of God. So we ask for that posture of prayer to be restored back to your people. Start with us, Lord. And I pray, God, over this week and over this weekend that you would move mightily, powerfully, that we would follow you into the place of prayer. And as we do, we would watch how you would release rivers of living water. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to just bow, help us to take the knee and to, to, to just kneel before you in these days. And we thank you for it today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.